Before we begin, I would like to take a quick break to tell you about a travel website that allows you to search for the cheapest flights, hotel rooms, car rentals, airport parking, and taxis and airport shuttle services. The website is www.experiencethis360.com. It takes over 700 airlines and travel agencies, 240,000 hotels, including booking sites like Expedia and Booking.com, and allows you to compare all at once in one screen, saving you time and money. It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. This isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy to way to do flight searches, discount hotel rooms, and find the cheapest rental cars. Think of it as cheap flight, best hotel rate search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Now, back to the podcast. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 3, Episode 6, The Conjuring Legacy. Norma Sutcliffe lives in constant fear and apprehension, and it isn't that she fears ghosts or the demons that are said to be living inside her historical farmhouse. In fact, she has had very little, if any, paranormal experiences inside her home. What she fears most is the living. Norma Sutcliffe is the current owner of the farmhouse written about in the book series House of Darkness, House of Light, and the location in the Warner Brothers movie, The Conjuring. Norma claims that since the movie's release, she has had several ghost hunters and thrill-seekers trespass onto her property. The illegal trespassing and hysteria happened virtually overnight, as soon as the movie was marketed. We haven't slept in days, says Sutcliffe. Because we wake up at 2 in the morning, there are people with flashlights in our yard. People call on the phone and ask, is this the Conjuring house? They've received other harassing phone calls as well, she says. It's been three years since the release of the film, and yet the trespassing continues, and Norma is left with damaged property, disturbed sleep, and a property with a reputation that, according to her, could be hard to sell. It's been such a traumatic experience that she had filed a lawsuit against the movie studio seeking damages and the cost of an extensive security system. This lawsuit was settled out of court this year. According to Paul McGuire, corporate communications for Warner Brothers, they have no comment about the lawsuit. Further to the lawsuit, Norma has also pressed on with revealing the truth. Along with former journalist Kent Spotswood, local historians and paranormal enthusiasts, they have been digging into the history of the story presented in both print and on screen, only to come to one conclusion. The backstory of the conjuring haunting is pure fantasy. But where did this story originate from? According to Norma, her real estate disclosed that the house may be haunted before she had purchased it in 1987. Local rumor and gossip floated around in coffee shops, barbershops, and church groups, and Norma was interested in learning more about her house, as, according to her, nothing extraordinary happened. 
In 2005, her friend insisted that she should contact a local Rhode Island paranormal group known as TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, who were filming their investigations on location for a reality show called Ghost Hunters. Norma agreed that it would be interesting to see if this group, who was reported to be using only equipment, could capture anything. During the filming of Season 2, Episode 7 of the reality show, case manager Donna LeCroix reveals that the Warrens were involved in the haunting, to which Jason Hawes, one of the lead investigators, rolls his eyes and says, The Warrens. Oh, God. Supposedly, they found a lot of activity, he says. But when it comes to matters such as this, you gotta take anything Ed and Lorraine say with a grain of salt. But that didn't stop them from inviting the Warrens' nephew, John Zaffis, along for the investigation, and Norma was interviewed. And of course, as reality shows go, they made claims that were very strange, Norma says. They asked if anything unusual ever happened, so I said years ago the door shook once, and one night we thought we felt vibration in the mattress. And once Gary, Norma's husband, thought he felt the chair in his study move. Bizarrely, they claimed to feel the same the very night they were here, both bed and in the study. They show a door opening, which I have never seen. When they were showing me the reveal, I said in anything. They then declared that the house was haunted. So when they asked me to comment at the end, I said, I believe in authentic haunting now we have this on film to show. Basically, going along with their claim. But when I saw the actual footage and the actual show, I couldn't believe what they tried to claim. That the closet door could not have been tampered with because the mattress would not allow anyone to open the door. At that point, I told my friends, how could they say that? Because it was my closed closet. How did they figure I could access my clothes if the pr mattress prevented me? Why would I put it there? So that just added to the idea that they had faked that scene. Amazing, they could claim haunted just because of those three things. We never heard from them again. But Norma gives them credit for not revealing her address or providing any information about the house. In fact, she claims the episode went largely unnoticed. A few local ghost hunters asked to investigate the home and came up with no or very little tangible evidence of a haunting. In fact, the whole idea of the haunting was only one source, the Perone family who claimed to have been tormented by the ghosts residing in the house. The Kenyan family, who had owned the property for over 150 years, claims the property has no history of a haunting whatsoever, and the local historical society states that only one death ever occurred on the property. A Jarvis Smith who died in a shed along the road. He was drunk, fell asleep, and died of exposure. Norma was introduced to Andrea Perone, the author of House of Darkness, House of Light, by sheer coincidence. Andrea had moved back to Rhode Island and was introduced to the new homeowner and relayed some of her experiences in the home. Norma says Andrea and her mother Carolyn told her that they experienced sounds in the house and some odd events. Andrea's two sisters said that they thought at one time their beds were moving and they felt they were in a bubble. There was nothing extremely terrifying or extraordinary about these events said to have been witnessed. Andrea concluded the conversation with an offer to purchase this house, if it ever becomes available. Norma then was visited by Lorraine Warren, who had, along with her husband Ed, been involved with the Perron family, alleged haunting in the 1970s. Norma says she knew who the Warrens were, as they had seen them on TV. 
she found out later that the Warren's son-in-law had written about the haunting in local newspapers. I asked Lorraine why only the Perones had issues and no one else, she asked. Her comment was telling. She said because the Perons were a very dysfunctional family and they probably caused the haunting and when they left, it would have stopped. Suspicious. Lorraine insisted she could feel how much love was in the house since we had owned it and a perfect setting for my childcare program. Interesting to note that 14 years previous to Lorraine claiming the house had been full of demonic witches who possessed the living, now it's full of love and a great place to have a child care program. Norma then asked what proof Lorraine had of the haunting, to which Lorraine is said to have described a seance in which many things were revealed. Lorraine claims the seance and the full investigation was not recorded on videotape or by camera because no cameras would function. In addition, all documents about the case were misfiled or missing. Lorraine claims that the name Bethesda came to her in a psychic vision, and here is where things get really muddled. At first, it was claimed that the ghost haunting the house was that of Laura Sherman, a local urban legend found in a private and secluded Rhode Island cemetery. Laura Sherman's ghost was said to appear if you walk around her tombstone three times. According to Norma, she believes that Carolyn switched the name to Bathsheba because of Lorraine Warren's psychic vision of a demonic female, and it better fit the story. But because of the local historians, we know the full and accurate history of the farmhouse and its previous occupants. We know Bathsheba's real history now, says Norma. There is no history, not even an urban legend, until Carolyn made up the story. Andrea claimed Bathsheba was an Arnold in the book. She was not. There has never been any suicides by hanging or poison, no murders or drownings at the house. What Caroline did was to take any Arnold family name she found in the Black Book, a local historical record, and claimed they happened here, and even claimed which rooms they happened in, including the claim of a hanging in the barn. In Andrea's book, she claims Prudence Arnold was murdered in their pantry, Johnny Arnold committed suicide in the attic, etc., etc., says Norma. Whatever death record they could find, they attributed it to the house, and when it was discovered that Bathsheba died of a stroke and had a Christian burial, the story changed again. They claimed that the ghost told them this new information, Norma adds. Norma agreed to speak to Andrea about the farmhouse when she learned Andrea was writing a book about her experiences there, and that Andrea said she would protect her privacy. These conversations were taped, and subsequently released on YouTube as promotion for the upcoming book. In the video, Norma describes several instances of unusual happenings of phantom footsteps and mysterious voices to Andrea, and the two talk openly about the house and the haunting. Andrea had told me she had nothing to do with the movie that may be called The Warren Files, that supposedly a B-movie producer was trying to get funding for, she says. But Andrea Perone was directly involved with a much larger movie production and the subsequent marketing. I told her how angry I was that she had lied to me about having nothing to do with the movie, that she better take the video down not because of the content, but that she put my name on it, linking it directly to me, says Norma.
The video was taken down for five months until Norma responded to all the attention at her farmhouse with research and documentation and an online battle of words began. The movie The Conjuring ends with the Warrens as the heroes saving the family from the onslaught of demonic forces. The Warrens did not end the Perone's problems, says Norma. The Warrens were thrown out of the home the night they were there. The Warrens also took paperwork compiled by the Perones and refused to give it back, along with other items. I want everyone who wishes to research the Warrens' history. To me, they have no credibility, she says. The Warrens appeared at the doorstep of the Perone farmhouse and were invited in. Lorraine Warren, a self-proclaimed psychic medium, returned at a later time to give details of her impressions. She came up with several stories, images, and impressions, all of which seemed accurate and realistic to Carolyn. And it would have been because, according to the book, House of Darkness, House of Light, Lorraine Warren took Carolyn's journal about her experiences, read them over, and then relayed this information back to Carolyn and the family as validation. The journal has never been returned. And... As with every haunted house the Warrens encountered, the story changed dramatically. No longer was it merely a haunting. It was inhabited by the spirits of the damned, demons, witches, vampires, werewolves, you name it, as long as it had a hook and fit the agenda. The Perons believed they were sharing their story to a couple who had genuine interest in their case and perhaps could lend help. What they found is that the Warrens were using this case as a sideshow in their lecture circuit. Ghost hunters and curiosity seekers started appearing at the farmhouse, and when Carolyn found out the Warrens were showcasing her home and her family, giving out the address and describing her family's issues, she felt utterly betrayed. But the Warrens, however, convinced Carolyn to hold a seance and to exorcise the demons residing in her house once and for all desperate for answers, and to end the experiences, Carolyn agreed, and an entourage of ghost hunters appeared alongside Ed and Lorraine Warren. Video cameras were set up, and photographers were at the ready in case anything paranormal should occur. An audio recorder was set up to capture the entire cleansing ritual. To some witnesses, Carolyn's chair levitated and she fell backwards. To others, she simply pushed her chair back and fell over. Ed Warren rushed to her and pushed Roger Perron, her husband, who also went to help his wife up off the ground. Roger was so furious at Ed that he whipped around and punched him right in the face. Roger then ordered everyone out of the house and systematically all the ghost hunters left. The video camera evidence is said to have been destroyed by the demonic forces. No photographs ever turned up in the Warren's evidence, and the audio files of the entire event have been misplaced. Have you ever tried to find a cheap hotel room, and you open up Expedia, then you open up Travago, then Booking.com, then Hotels.com, and so on and so on, trying to find the best deal from all the hotel discount and booking sites? What if I told you you could do one search in one window, either online or using your mobile device? What if I told you that you can take all these discount search sites, combine them into one easy to use app, saving time and money? It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees, including taxes, and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. 
Now, this isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy way to do hotel searches. Think of it as a cheap hotel search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Savings are incredible, sometimes up to 70% off. There are even options such as pay now, pay later, free cancellations, no credit cards required. With a database of over 270,000 hotels, 46,000 hostels, 500,000 bed and breakfasts, and 1.3 million apartments, you will be sure to find the best hotel at an incredible price. Now, do you want this app? Find the best hotel room at the best price. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. After slamming the door on the Warren Circus, Roger Perron said that he thought to his wife, and to according to Andrea, he bitterly resented the intrusion, the theatrical farce of a pseudo-intellectual endeavor, ritualistic nonsense, fake. Roger considered their little sideshow a charade. Don't you realize when you're being played, he said, and accused them of being a pair of two-bit charlatans, claiming... They'll only use you for notoriety, for their own purposes. I'm not in dispute with Mrs. Cutcliffe about Bathsheba, Andrea Perone says. What was the storyline of a made-up movie? It was a movie designed to highlight the career of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It was their vision of events turned into a Hollywood feature film. Perone expressed mixed feelings about the movie. In one interview, Andrea glorifies the movie and the Warrens in an over-the-top dramatic speech. And then in another interview, she places doubts about the movie's truthfulness and accuracy and the credibility of the Warrens. It was so distant from the truth that it might as well be two stories with the characters sharing the same names, she explains. And that is why perhaps Andrea is now seeking a multi-million dollar movie deal to bring her self-published anthology to the big screen. As wildly successful as The Conjuring was, Perone believes that with total creative control, her movies would have an even greater impact, not just monetarily, but in connecting with others who are truly intrigued about the paranormal. But before a deal could be struck, Warner Brothers had already scheduled the release date for The Conjuring 2, a sequel that showcases the Warren files of the Enfield Poltergeist case in England. Lorraine Warren, despite the public's increasing doubt at the Warrens' legitimacy, continues to make much of their questionable careers as ghost-hunting demonologists and inserts her husband and herself into the well-known Enfield Poltergeist case. However, according to those involved with the case, the Warrens had very little, if anything, to do with it, except perhaps to convince those involved that they could become rich and famous if they just followed Ed Warren's advice. Guy Leon Playfair member of the Society of Psychical Research and one of the chief investigators in the Enfield Poltergeist case, states Ed and Lorraine Warren stayed for only one day and alleges that they manufactured their own paranormal evidence to make, quote, a lot of money out of it. The family involved and many other witnesses do not even recall speaking to the Warrens about anything. 
they did not turn up once, I think, at Enfield. And all I can remember is Ed Warren telling me that he could make a lot of money for me out of it, says Playfair. So I thought, well, that's all I need to know from you. And I got myself out of the way as soon as I could. I said I was not impressed. I read a transcript of a lengthy interview which he alleged to have with one of the girls, which they couldn't remember giving him. And it was describing all sorts of marvelous wonders, which I don't think ever happened. I think he was a complete fill in the word here, end quote. It was quite brief. I remember one day he did turn up. I think Lorraine was there as well. I'd also met them in Brazil. They sort of popped up all over the place, and it was just no big deal at all. I mean, I had a brief conversation with Ed at Enfield, and as I said... He was telling me how much money he'd helped me make, and I politely declined his help, and I strained that that's not what we exist for in the SPR, and that was the last time I saw him. For a more in-depth look into the Warrens and the Enfield Poltergeist case, one needs to turn to Tom Ruffles of the SPR, where he systematically details the Warrens' involvement and their motive of gaming fame and fortune from the event. We'll include that link at our Facebook page. Norma Sutcliffe has experienced the very worst sort of exploitation that can happen as a result of putting one's public life in the hands of self-professed experts in cinematic bigwigs. We only have to look to the Amityville Horror, which occurred in the 1970s, again at the hands and masterminds of the Warrens, to see what sort of lasting damage can occur. To this day, people flock to the home in Amityville to see the site where Ronald Defoe murdered his entire family in their sleep, and to hopefully see or experience some sort of lasting ghostly or demonic imprint that the Warrens have attributed to the house. Despite the fact that the house has been vastly renovated to conceal its prominent design, and despite the fact that the events that the Warrens allege have been widely refuted, the damage has been done and the stigma still remains 40 years later. It can be just as bad when a not-so-famous ghost hunting group displays one's home on their website. For some reason, some thrill-seekers and ghost enthusiasts are willing to break laws and inconvenience others for the sake of obtaining true ghost photos that will in turn gain them the notoriety and fame that they desire. The result can have a lasting effect on families as they try to repair their privacy and sometimes damage to their home and property. Norma had once had an open mind to the possibility of otherworldly beings residing in her home. Now with a wiser and perhaps more cynical view on how certain ghost hunters operate, she wonders the validity of paranormal research as a whole. This is probably a wise outlook, although there are a great many respectable researchers. The paranormal field in its many subgenres is wrought with charlatans and self-serving wannabes who wouldn't hesitate to make your private life a living hell. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links, and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, 
Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Mattia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.